0: This morning we're going to kind of close out our uh, three-part series in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. We've been in it for several weeks. We took a break last week for our guest Ed Amaya from Far Reaching Ministries. And today we're going to finish that study. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And if you need a Bible, the ushers are here to have... See to it that you have one and can read along with us. We're going to be reading uh, verse 20 through 25 this morning. And I would like to invite you to stand with me for that reading. I'll begin with verse 20, if you'll take verse 21, and then I'll take 22 and so forth on down through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 20, we read, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Verse 21. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Verse 23. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for every good gift that comes from your throne room and is found to be available here in our lives. We ask this morning again in a very fresh and pointed way that you would speak to each one of our lives. Lord, you know each one of us. You know where we stand where we uh, sit you know from which perspective we look at scripture and you know uh, how our minds often uh, work as it relates to a relationship with you that that only through the ministry of your word and by the power of your spirit lord we ask that you would Speak to each one of us today. Bring glory to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. I've entitled this morning's message, uh, well, that's not what I was going to entitle it, but uh, (laughs) Now What God Will Do. And I'm taking that from uh, that first word in the 20th verse as the writer was writing to bring his letter to the Hebrews to a conclusion that he had been he in his opinion he had been writing to them in few words and you recall that though you and I may look at 13 chapters of uh, of a book and think that that was few in his mind those were few words in order to bring the the great instruction needed to the Hebrew Christian. This entire closing, you know, five verses, interestingly enough, is a collage of things. It's uh, a blessing. It's a greeting, but it's also a prayer. And it models somewhat the priestly prayer that we find back in the book of of Numbers chapter 6 verses 20 through, through 27 when the Lord spoke to Moses and he he said to Moses this is how you are to tell Aaron that they are to pray and bless the people the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so here at the close, the writer seems to take that same desire to bless the people upon which he has written this letter to and yet moves them very promptly into the immediate by the word now in verse 20. And I'm I'm prompted by when I read that word in my own heart to remind myself as well as to remind us that he, in pronouncing this blessing on the people, he is remembering by the word now all that he has spoken to them before. He is remembering that in the first chapter he spoke to them about that God in various ways and at sundry times and times past had spoken by the fathers is now speaking to us through his son whom he appointed heir of all things and by whom all things were made. He is reminded and we are reminded that in Chapters 2 all the way through 10, he talked about the superiority of Christ. The superiority of Christ over the angels, over Moses, over the priesthood. That Christ was a mediator of a better covenant, of better worship, of a, of better fellowship. He is reminded that in chapters 10, there were the great warnings to not let your heart as he wrote to those Hebrew Christians, don't let your heart become hard to where you now no longer listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He goes on in his memory, and it is mindful of us to do so, that in chapters 11, there was the cloud of witnesses that we're so greatly surrounded by, this cloud of witnesses, And then in chapter 12, he gave great appeals. You may remember those not being very long ago. Uh, The appeal of the failure to respond to the chastisement of the Lord. Remember, he encouraged them, you know, don't despise it. When God chastens us by seeking to point out to us Areas in our life that he wants to change and he wants to make right and pleasing in his sight. Don't look down upon that. The appeal to not fall short of his grace. The remembrance of the the fear and terror that the law had brought, but the tenderness and mercy that grace brings and to not refuse him who speaks. And then he closes in this chapter 13 that we've been dealing with, with many clear instructions, but very few words. And so he says, now. He says, now. And we want to take this passage at a running jump and extract from it what, what God is saying to his people, what the writer is saying to the Hebrews, by by asking uh, four simple questions of the passage. He begins in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who is this God that is at work in them? He's he's going to clarify it. God is at work in them. We're, we see it in verse 21. He said that, God is working in you. Who is this God? He is the God of peace. And we immediately are struck by this attribute of of the God that he is writing about, this attribute of the God that Perhaps every one of you in this room, those of you who are watching at home, may say you believe in. And yet, believing in God is not enough. Just simple belief in God is not unique. I hope you know that this morning. The Bible teaches us that even the demons believe, but because they know who they Believe exists, they tremble. I saw something the other day. um, A pastor was talking about, you know, if you're in conversation with a neighbor or um, someone that you've met on the street, and you say, do you believe in God? And they say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And, you know, so many of us at times will just like, check, I shared my faith. Oh, good, see you later. Oh, wait a minute. Well, then let me tell you about Jesus. Because, see, that's where it often changes. And this writer makes it clear to his reading audience and the Spirit of God to us as his people today that this God is the God of peace, this attribute of him, Did you know that in the most disturbing and distressing of situations, truly, it is only the God of peace that can bring peace to your soul? Hey, ask ask anyone who's tried other means to bring peace to the turmoil and circumstance around them. You look at, at where our nation is headed, you look at where the world is headed. By the way, um, we here at Calvary Chapel Valley Springs strongly support what God is doing in the land of Israel and the people of Israel, and we applaud that uh, a new government is going to be established as uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was re-elected into office, praise God. But as you look around our world and our country and, and do you ever like go, oh God, what's going on? If you don't, you're not looking very well because there's a lot of horrific things going on. And yet those things can bring a sense of, of uh, turmoil. They can bring distress and whatnot. But you know what? Hey, that really for the child of God that knows the God of peace shouldn't rattle your cage. It shouldn't rattle mine. It's like we're just checking off the boxes till he comes. This is one of the most exciting times in human history to live. It's close. It's coming. I hope you're ready. Because the Bible says that for those who love his appearing, he will appear a second time. The God of peace. You know, this same God of peace can bring peace to a fellowship that has experienced division. A church that has gotten its eyes off God and gotten its eyes on the whole other, a lot of things. And, and next thing you know, there's there's backbiting and bickering amongst the people. By getting our eyes back on God, we can watch God bring peace into the middle of such a fellowship? Or what about the turmoil that you may experience, and I know that I do as well, uh, within you? You know what I'm talking about. The, The turmoil of those two natures. Your fallen nature and your new man. Do you ever wrestle with with God, I wish I didn't do that again. Or, man, my I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have treated someone else that way. Every now and then, I'll just walk. Wake up in the morning. I love my old pastor George used to talk about this. I used to wonder what he was talking about. That man, that guy's a pastor. That really happens to him. And you know, fast-forward window into my life, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning, I just got a bad spirit. I am not thankful. I'm a bit grumpy. I'm a little bit on edge. And I'm short with people. And I, I wonder if you ever struggle this way, is that this old nature in you rears its ugly head And you want to be more like Jesus, and yet the things I do, I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, that which I do, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Answer, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. God of peace can bring resolve and peace to that turmoil within us. I was struck by Romans 16.20, uh, Paul said, and, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Well, he doesn't sound very peaceful there, does he? He's like... <laughs> Romans 15.33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Philippians 4.9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me... These do, Paul's saying, look at what I've written to you. Look at how I've acted amongst you. Look at what you've learned from me. Do these things and the God of peace will be with you. So who is this God at work? He is the God of peace. Second question is, what has he done? And we see here in verse uh, 20, the second portion of the verse, says that he brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. This God of peace, what has he done? He has resurrected Jesus Christ from the tomb. It's all right, you can say hallelujah. Yeah, he has resurrected Jesus from the tomb. But notice the word our, do you see that? The writer is writing and it's a personal ownership It's a clear acknowledgement he has embraced Christ as the one who is his Lord. Is he your Lord this morning? Thank you, sister. Amen. Someone once said, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Is he Lord over all you're doing? For this God of peace has resurrected our Lord Jesus from the dead. And then he gives the writer a description of Jesus. This one who has been resurrected from the dead. He says that he is that great shepherd of the sheep. And we'll talk about that for a minute. But as we before we just move past the resurrection, we talked about the the cross being a centerpiece to the gospel, and right alongside that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Buddha has not been resurrected. Mohammed has not been resurrected. There's only one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. There is a song that has hit my heart recently, and it's not a new song. It's a year old or so. Uh, but I found it and I've been listening to it. Uh, the title is called Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood Applied. It's by a Christian artist, female artist named Charity Gale. And the lyrics kind of remind me of, of this fact of the resurrection and and that it was his blood on the cross and our faith in that blood and then he was buried in a tomb one of the lines says uh, you took my place uh, and in the tomb of my sin and she goes on to say but then after three days you walked right out again now death has no sting and life has no end, for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. The resurrection. So important for us to not look past. And it is this Jesus. He is the shepherd of the sheep. you ever considered that? Um, that great shepherd of the sheep. I love what one commentator writes about this description of Jesus. Uh John, the Gospel of John chapter 10, often known as the sheep chapter. Um, When among the poor of the flock who believed on him, when he was on earth, we hear our Lord speak of my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and say they were given him of the Father, Jesus says in John chapter ten that my Father has given them to me. Are you uh, of that flock that hears the voice of Jesus today? Hopefully, that's not a foreign thing to you or me. That you hear His voice. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Art? Is is it an audible? Uh, what I'm talking to you today, you know, not necessarily. It can be the a uh, sweet whisper to your heart of, of a way in which he wants you to go, a thing in which he wants you to do or not do. To my sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And that they are given to him of my Father, that the Father picked you and I out from before the foundation of the world that we might be in that flock. And in John chapter 10, it talks about, Jesus said that they shall never perish and that none shall pluck them out of his hand. Impossible scripture says that someone, the adversary of God himself can come and just take you out of the hand of the Savior if you're firmly in his grip. And Jesus goes on in chapter 10, the other sheep I have that are not of this fold. Who is he speaking of? Well, he was speaking, of course, of the Gentiles. He said, I must also bring them in that there would be one flock and one shepherd. That great shepherd of the sheep, his great care for his flock. There is... Um, an interesting book by Philip Keller a shepherd looks at Psalm 23 and Philip Keller was a, a shepherd in South Africa and loves the Lord he was raised in a missionary household And in his life in South Africa, he took care of sheep. And some of you here this morning, maybe you watching at home, know what it's like to have some sheep on your property and how sheep are and and all of that. And Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, gives some phenomenal and tremendous correlations to why Jesus referred to those that follow him as sheep. Now, don't shoot the messenger, but we know that sheep are pretty dumb. And we know that they're often inclined to just keep grazing and go over the other edge where they're not supposed to go. Keller in his book brings out an interesting reality about sheep is that they will not lay down. if you ever... If you ever been driving along and you see a whole pasture of sheep, what do they do? They're usually up eating, right? When you see them laying down, if you see them laying down, it's a unique thing. It doesn't happen very often. But sheep will only lay down when all of the needs are met in them. Their fear is gone, their stomachs are full, and they know that their shepherd is close. And the Gospels tell us that, that Jesus, you know, when he looks out and he sees the flock and, and he sees he's, he sees that one is missing, that he will leave the nine and nine and go after the one. Someone illustrated it this way, that if you were to put like a thousand uh, cotton balls on a table and... Put them in a square, and you got a thousand of them there. And you look at it, and then someone says, "All oh, right, turn around, and look the other way." And someone reaches in and grabs one, one out of a thousand. Make it a million, however many, and just kind of squeezes it together. If you turn back, could you actually see where that cotton ball is missing? No, but Jesus does, and the scriptures tell us that He goes after that one. He goes, after you and me, kept us in his view because of his love for us. So it's the God of peace who is at work. What he has done is resurrected that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus from the tomb. What he is doing now, important part of this morning's time together. Uh, we shouldn't pass how he resurrected him. In verse uh, 20, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Interesting, you might circle that word before we go on to the third question. Um, it's important. In uh, the Greek lexicon, you will find that that word is actually en, meaning in. And so uh, New King James and Uh, King James renders it through the blood of the everlasting covenant, which is a questionable, it introduces a questionable thought. Maybe you've never looked at it and thought about it, but actually if Jesus was resurrected through the blood of the everlasting covenant, it would imply that there was a need for the blood to be applied to him, but he was sinless. So the word in, in the blood of the everlasting covenant, gives us a better picture that before the foundations of the world, there is a covenant between the Father and the Son to rescue humanity, of which it would be necessary for Christ to go to the cross, to be buried and to be resurrected from the dead, through, or rather in the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now here's what he's doing now. And this is what the writer is trying to get to, to his reader. So that's all those things what have happened. Here's what he's doing now. Verse 21, that he would make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Stop right there. So here's what he's doing now. He is making you, oh Hebrew Christian that you are, who at times were wondering, should you falter back and forth from the law to grace? Don't go back. Don't don't refuse to hear them speak to you now. And then fast forward to you and I as Christians this morning on November 13th, 2022, he is making you complete. Actually, Colossians uh, 2.10 says that in him, you are complete. So there's these two truths that the New Testament are telling us or having with it. In Christ I am complete. And here the author of Hebrews is praying that the God of peace would make you complete. Which one is it? Answer? Yes. Both. For in Christ I I am complete as it relates to how I will be received by the Father in eternity. There is nothing else needed for my salvation in Christ. I am complete. And now, as that salvation is worked out in me, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As that salvation is worked out in me, I am being made complete. Makes sense? So, He's making you complete. The word is katarizo. Actually, perfect. He's making you perfect, which often many will read that in the various versions that perfect is used and just all of a sudden they're slain with guilt. Oh, I'm not perfect. No, you're not. I'm not. Thank God. No, he's talking about whole. He's making you whole and complete. Uh, Actually, another rendering of the word is through repair. He's repairing us. Oh, my goodness. We were broken and he's repairing us. You might say... That's offensive. I wasn't broken. Okay. Then maybe he's not repairing you. But I know that there's a lot of repairing going on as God works to make you and I complete. Notice, in every good work. We're still in verse 21. In every good work. In other words, not for every good work. He's not making you complete so that then after that, happens, you can go work. But in, in every work. So when was the last time you stepped out to serve God in some way? And by serving God, I mean you exercised something that was sacrificial in your time, talent, and treasure. You gave of yourself for the purpose of glorifying God. When was the last time that happened, maybe, in your life? And you see, well, yeah, but I'm not sure I should do that. I'm not ready. Uh, or, well, that's for those who have really been called to that or something. And I wasn't thinking about talking about this this morning, but it just comes to me. It's like, no, what he says is step out in faith, and as you do, I am making you complete in that work that you're endeavoring to do in faith following me, listening to my voice, it's a process, it's processual. why? Because we are to be doing his will that he would make you complete in every good work to do his will. bottom line, if you and I are, if you are born again this morning, you are no longer you, your own, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body. You're no longer just a California citizen. You're no longer here to build the, uh, the IRA. Is that the right acronym? It is. You're no longer here to just work yourself to retirement or get that home or whatever. None of those things in of themselves are bad or wrong. But what I'm saying, if you're a Christian, if you're not, you've got a worse problem than that. But if you are a Christian this morning, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. That price is the highest price that can be paid to ransom your life and your soul. What are you doing with your life this morning? Whoa. Turn it around. You can say, well, Art, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) No, wait a minute. I just want to talk about you, not me. (laughs) And don't you think that I've got it all, you know, licked and understood. I mean, I'm still trying to, Lord, what do you want of me? What am I here for? How am I doing, Lord? Well, you could brush up on this and this and that to do his will. What is the will of God? If someone were to come up to you today and say, man, I just need to know what is the will of God? What would you say? Would you say, I can tell you. Or would you say, I don't know. Would you say, well, I think I know. Pause. Hold that. You know, I have the I guess, privilege of knowing I was going to talk about this, so looking up a few verses. If you're taking note, Ephesians, well, uh, Matthew 35, first of all, Jesus said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. So we get a hint there that there is a will of God. And Jesus said, whoever does the will of God is his brother and his sister. David, the patriarch, Old Testament, in his generation, did the will of God, Acts 13.30. Paul said that he wanted to find a way to come to see the Christians in Rome by the will of God, Romans one ten. So we got it plethora through the scripture that God has a will. We see it being recommended that we can do his will that others have done his will. Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Wow. That means in my everyday workplace, my home, wherever I am, what I'm doing is to be being done unto God as I'm doing his will from my heart. Paul said that he prayed for the Colossians that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Paul to the Thessalonians said, for this is the will of God. Oh, now there's a clear one. I know we've been here before, church, but lest I be negligent to remind us, if you ever want to know what is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it's, it's the answer of all time, right? For this is the will of God. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. What is it? Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification. Set apart. It's the will of God that you and I not blend into this world because we buy what the culture says is okay. And we got a a wrong culture going on. So... You, are, you and I are to be sanctified. Is this too hard of a word? I hope not. You and I are to be sanctified, to be set apart. Who you are and how you carry yourself in this world should be a reflection that Jesus Christ lives in you. And he's working on us, right? He's making us complete in every good work to do his will. Now, this, this is the part that got me. I guess I could have stayed on this all morning and here I'm just about out of time. But notice that it says in verse 21, it says, notice with me working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. And then he goes on to say that it's through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. What's important about that? Well, what's important about that is that you might, you and I might not really like what, God is doing in us to be pleased with us in his sight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, so often we get this idea that well, if if the picture of of what I have of what I need to be and who I should be and how I am around me is, you know, in my eyes I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay. You've heard that. Okay, so if in my eyes I'm okay, then it's kind of like, well, what are you doing, God? You've I mean, really, come on, what are you doing? And and there's sometimes these, you know, circumstantial things that he's seeking to bring change, relational things that he's seeking to bring change. When what he's after is to do a work in you so that he is pleased with you. I thought that was, I mean probably not profound to you, but to me it was like, yeah, I see that this time. To do that which is well-pleasing in his sight, not mine. And how is he doing it? He's doing it through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is Christ in you and I, the hope of glory. It is him taking up residence and I hope this morning as we close that in your heart of hearts you have opened up your heart to him to take full resident. That you just don't give him, you know, like the closet and the backyard. But your heart, his home, that you've given him every place in your heart for him to reside in you and I by the Spirit so that as we are involved in the good work to do his will, we are finding him making us complete to his glory. And when someone says, wow, man, how, how did you get where you are and how, how like you are? Our response is by the grace of God and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me for that this morning? Let's pray. Powerful and, and intimate and deep exhortations that the writer has given that those that were intended to read this letter must have been cut to the quick as we this morning also are cut in our heart It's always good to start the day with surrender, Lord. Because we aren't our own. We surrendered our life at the cross where you surrendered yours. This morning, in a fresh act of surrender, Lord, we who are here, we who... Know that you're working on us and in us. Welcome that. Keep having your way with us, Lord. Sometimes I know I'm stubborn, I can't speak for others here, but, Lord, keep having your way. And we'll give you the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close.